You are listening to Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 FMLP, and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. A group of activists have been jailed for over a year before trial for entering the Kings Bay Naval Submarine Base in Georgia last April to protest U.S. nuclear weapons. The action took place April 4, 2018, the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Armed with hammers, crime scene tape, baby bottles containing their own blood, seven anti-nuclear activists secretly entered Kings Bay, one of the largest nuclear submarine bases in the world under the cover of night. Their goal was to symbolically disarm the six nuclear ballistic missile submarines kept there. Each submarine carries 20 Trident thermonuclear weapons. One year after this historic action, three of the plowshares activists remain jailed in Georgia. The other four are out on $50,000 bond with electronic ankle monitors. All seven face up to 25 years in prison. They've been charged with three felonies and a misdemeanor. On Thursday, global leaders, activists and scholars, including the Nobel Prize-winning former South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Daniel Ellsberg and Noam Chomsky, released a petition addressed to U.S. Attorney General William Barr demanding all charges against the Kings Bay 7 be dropped immediately. The petition reads in part, quote, We who share the moral vision of the Kings Bay Plowshare 7 proclaim our support for their courage and sustained sacrifice and call for the immediate dismissal of all charges against them." Unquote. The Kings Bay protest builds on a history of similar anti-nuclear plowshares actions around the world, beginning in 1980 in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. That first Plowshares Act was led by the late Father Daniel and Philip Erigan. Phil's widow, Liz McAllister, is one of the seven arrested last April. She remains locked up alongside Jesuit priest Stephen Kelly and Mark Colville in Brunswick, Georgia. That was Amy Goodman from Democracy Now! in a report from 2019. Well, here we are, more than three years from the date that the Kings Bay Plowshare 7 invaded the naval shipyard in the name of peace. Well, today, Harvey will catch us up on the status of those seven and share portions of the Festival for Peace celebration of their activism. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We are members of the Veterans for Peace Hector Black chapter in Nashville. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Go to veteransforpeace.org. All right, this show is on stations across the country thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. But you can also get a copy of the show by just going to SoundCloud or Anchor Podcasts and searching Veterans for Peace, the Hector Black chapter. You can also easily find us through your podcast app on your phone. Just search Veterans for Peace. Okay, the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. Happenings. If you are following us, you know that Veterans for Peace and a coalition of pro progressive groups are vigiling each Friday at noon outside of Representative Jim Cooper's office 
with our to-do list, which includes important things like Medicare for All, Green New Deal, criminal and racial justice reform, ending endless wars, and a variety of other critical issues. So come join us at noon outside the Nashville Public Library. That's between 6th and 7th Avenue on Church Street. On Church Street. Okay. Now, on Sunday, this Sunday, April 25th, there are caravans all across the nation calling for the end of the U.S. blockade of Cuba. Here in Nashville, the Answer Coalition is planning and end the U.S. blockade of Cuba caravan. Uh, They will gather at the Metro Nashville Public Health Department at 2500 Charlotte Avenue at 12.30 p.m. for sign making, and then we'll get in our cars and we'll drive around for a half hour from 1 to 1.30 and be back at the Public Health Department um, with a nice afternoon activity done. Now, don't worry if you missed this one because these caravans are going to take place the last Sunday of the month for months. And remember, this is nationwide. So if you're not in the Nashville area, just look up uh, U.S. blockade of Cuba caravans or something. I'm sure you can find it. So with that, I wanted to bring up something before we got going on the plowshares because I read something in The Guardian. And yeah. I sent I sent you this article. Oh, about the veteran. Yes. You know, I I saw that, and my my response to that, I read the whole thing, and it reminded me a lot of Vietnam veterans. Yeah, some of yes, yeah, some of us. Yeah, and uh, I can't, you know, I can't dismiss his own experience. Um. And as anything bearing on the fact that we didn't belong there in the first place. <laughs> I mean, That's right. <clears throat> well, so I'm sure it's dramatic for veterans of that war, but it's very dramatic for a lot of people who came back without limbs and <clears throat> in horrendous. Yeah. Uh, well, there were ones who didn't come back at all. Exactly. And this was an article by Craig Mullaney titled, The U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan, but it will never leave those of us who served there. And when I saw the title, I thought, okay, this is the experience of a person who was there, brought home the ill effects of endless wars like PTSD or moral injury, uh, traumatic brain injury Uh or something, but nope. He brought home an affinity for helicopters. And I mean, that's a form of PTSD, this whole, you know, rekindling memories when you hear something. Yeah. Oh, for sure. People in Vietnam get the same thing from hearing helicopters. Oh. Right. But, you know, his was not. You think? He had no insight into. No. You know, any of the real reasons for us being there well you know and it it just drove me crazy because in the article he says the value of individual veterans experience in afghanistan is not dependent on the outcome of a battle the shifts in a policy 
or the determinations of a historian. And then he quotes Teddy Roosevelt and he says, it's not the critique that counts. The credit belongs to the man in the area whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, but there is no effort without error and shortcoming. The game changes you regardless of the result. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he talking about? This was not a game. This was life and death. And so he also talks about the athletes who go to the Olympics, even though they know they're going to lose (laughs) as if that's a legitimate comparison for us going to Afghanistan. And I'm thinking, or Vietnam (laughs) or Iraq. And he talks about two men, two men who were killed. One of them being 19. I do not want to spend too much time on the dreadful article, but I do want to share his last full paragraph because this did it for me. I do not regret trading early career opportunities for a uniform. Okay, I can go with that. I do not begrudge the policy mistakes echelons above above my reality. Seriously? You don't want to begrudge the policy mistakes that got you into that situation that had all those thousands of Americans killed, not to mention hundreds of thousands of Afghanis, not to mention destabilizing the, 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 whole, the whole area, but he doesn't want to begrudge that. I mean, Harvey, I still begrudge LBJ. I still begrudge McNamara. I still begrudge Nixon. I still begrudge Kissinger because they knew we couldn't win in Vietnam. Yeah. And they kept us there. And these people above his above his echelon of reality or whatever he's talking about, he's they ignoring, knew that too. He's completely ignoring the Afghan papers. Exactly. <laughs> Which showed that they weren't mistakes, they were purposeful deceit. Purposeful deceit, just like Vietnam. Yeah. And then he says, then he says, I no longer mourn those who did not return. Instead, I celebrate how they lived with integrity and courage. Oh, my God. 19-year-old kid. A 19-year-old kid, and he does not mourn. A 19-year-old kid who never got to grow up, probably never got to be married, probably never saw his children if he was married, would never coach a baseball team or a softball team or a soccer team would never walk a daughter down the aisle or or, never see him again never see him exactly i mean i i i worked across the street from the vietnam veterans memorial and i couldn't go there without mourning i couldn't ever go there but he can go and not mourn these people because he celebrated how they lived with integrity and courage. Well, that might satisfy some dads, but I doubt seriously if it's going to satisfy a mom that brought these two young men into the world, cherished them, nurtured them, were there during thunderstorms, were there to comfort them with, uh, with cuts and scrapes. No, this was horrible. It was horrible. 
this was just a horrible article. And when I read it to Mary, she says, oh, just expect more of these. How, how many more of these are we going to see in an effort to keep us in Afghanistan? <laughs> and I figured, well, that's probably right. They're, they're going to say, all right, well, take a look. Let's, let's give our kids an opportunity to go thousands of miles across the ocean into a wasteland so that they can put themselves into harm's way, but generate a lot of camaraderie. I mean, how, how stupid. So I just wanted to share that. It was in The Guardian. It was, it was in The Guardian on Sunday uh -huh. by Craig Mullaney titled the u.s is pulling out of afghanistan but it will never leave those of us who served there well he's speaking to a lot of people <laughs> he doesn't what? it may never leave a lot of people well that's right not for the reasons he's describing not for the reasons he described because vietnam will never leave us right but not for the reasons he described right so and nothing about no no uh reflection on the suffering of the people of afghanistan none none it was awful i've been trying to find a way to get get in touch with the guardian to let them have it you know i i, I like you said earlier we have to respect his perception his viewpoint but it is such a facade it is it doesn't go it doesn't go more than two inches deep into that situation in Afghanistan and the suffering that we caused over there. I mean, he talked about that old lady that he, that they made smile. Yeah. And I was thinking about um, a book that I read from Dar Jamal where he'd been talking to a soldier who was very confused when he saw his fellows just shoot the goats out from under a, 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 a little boy shepherd. Uh -huh. Just kill all his goats. Yeah. Okay. Did he make the, did they make the little boy smile? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. How many families? <laughs> so, and the Taliban well, is stronger than him. You know, somebody reading that, I don't know how many <clears throat> young, you know, teens or whatever read the Guardian. Probably not that many, but you know, it, it's it's that same <clears throat> uh, attempt to uh, to cast it all in some higher plane of integrity and yeah. duty. What is it? Duty, honor, country? That bullshit. That bullshit. Yeah, that keeps the wars going. Keeps That's right. Lining up. That's yeah, right. That was pretty awful. Yeah. All right. Well, I just wanted to share that, and yeah. now we can talk plowshares. <laughs> Today uh, we are going to be bringing you up to date on the status of the Kings Bay Plowshares Seven activists period we have had them on our show uh, uh, several previous programs discussing their anti-nuclear 
uh, action and the consequences that it has had for them. There are seven, as it, as it says, uh, the, the plowshares seven. Uh, they are all uh, Catholic activists, peace activists, with long histories of involvement opposing nuclear weapons. Uh, they are Elizabeth McAllister. She is the widow of Philip Berrigan, brother of Daniel Berrigan, both of whom were active anti-nuclear activists as well as anti-draft and anti-war activists. Uh, Martha Hennessy, she is the granddaughter of Dorothy Day, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. And all of the, all seven of these uh, activists have connections and deep roots with the Catholic Worker Movement. Um, of course, Dorothy Day is cause for sainthood is currently being advanced uh, by the Vatican. Another, the rest of them are Stephen Kelly. Uh, he's a Jesuit priest. Claire Grady, Patrick O'Neill, Mark Colville, and Carmen Trotta. They broke into the Kings Bay Trident nuclear sub-base in Georgia on August, on excuse me, April fourth, twenty eighteen, this was the fiftieth anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, and that was the date that they decided this would be appropriate to do that. Uh, they managed to breach the security system there, got through some fences, and uh, basically their action was a nonviolent, symbolic disarming of the Trident missiles through uh, signage, through uh, writing on the walls and uh, pouring blood on some models of the missile that were at the entrance of the base. They made no attempt to escape arrest. They were found guilty all seven were found guilty of various charges from conspiracy to destruction of property to uh, <clears throat> trespassing, etc. Um, in October of 2018. Uh, some of the uh, coincidences are rather striking here. For one thing, it was in September of 2017 uh, that the UN uh, drafted the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This uh, treaty uh, actually came into force on January 22nd, 2021, two days after the start of the Biden administration. Uh, at the present time, there are 54 countries that have ratified the treaty, 86 countries who are signatories to the treaty. Neither the U.S. or any other nuclear power nation has signed on to this. That does not change the fact that uh, under the 
UN since it has been ratified by over 50 countries. It has, in fact, been in force since January 22nd this year. It is now international law uh, to prohibit any nation to possess, use, deploy, test, develop, or transfer any nuclear weapon. The King's Base uh, Plowshares 7 have made frequent reference to this at their various trial hearings, uh, all to no avail. One of the King's Bay 7, Plowshares 7, is uh, the only clergy member in that group, and that's uh, Father Stephen Kelly, a Jesuit priest, and who spent uh, at least nine months in the county jail in Glynn County, uh, Georgia, uh, which is where Kings Bay Trident Base is. It's also where Brunswick, Georgia is, and the county in which Ahmed Arbery was killed uh, by uh, to a group of white men who called themselves uh, citizens arrest for suspect suspected burglaries in their neighborhood while Ahmed Arbery was jogging. As you may recall, uh, this killing was never uh, charged. Uh, none of the killers were charged. Uh, it was all, it was just written off as justifiable. Uh, and it was only when the video that one of them had made of the actual killing uh, became available publicly that the Glenn County prosecutors and uh, legal establishment had to charge these uh, perpetrators and they were uh, eventually convicted. Uh, but interesting that the nonviolent and symbolic uh, faith-based action uh, of the Kings Bay Seven Plowshares uh, was immediately branded as a criminal act. As it turns out, Father Kelly and the perpetrators of the murder were in the same jail for a number of months. The, the last uh, sentencing hearing was of uh, Kings Bay member Mark Colville. And uh, again, this was April of this year, April 9th. Um, this is more than three years after they had entered the naval base. And he had already uh, served uh, 15 months of his sentence. He uh, 
at his sentencing hearing this month. Uh, <clears throat> the federal judge sentenced him to 21 months. Um, Mark boldly told the court that its refusal to recognize the right of his family and his community, quote, to live without a nuclear gun on hair trigger alert held perpetually to our heads has placed it firmly in a posture of criminality. And he's referring to the court. Mark announced earlier in the week that he had withdrawn six of his seven motions to the court arguing for vacating his sentence. He told supporters then that he saw no use in allowing the judge to act as if she seriously considered them. Again, quoting Mark, This government, in its lawlessness, has hidden first-strike weapons with enough firepower to kill six billion people. The court has a responsibility to allow the law to be applied beyond the fence at Kings Bay. A fence that I and my loved ones, with much fear and trembling, freely answered the call of faith, the call of conscience, and the call of generations yet unborn to breach. In a very real sense, then, this hearing today is itself irrelevant. The court has already pronounced a sentence on me, on my family, and on my neighborhood. We are hereby condemned to live as members of a rogue state, which in the face of a global consensus that outlaws nuclear weapons under the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This country has budgeted what amounts to $100,000 per minute over the next 10 years, to upgrade its stockpile of these useless, poisonous idols. We are sentenced to bear quietly, obediently, <clears throat> the relentless human tragedy that this massive theft of resources wreaks on our community. We are ordered to disobey any faith or conscience-based command to substantively reject the false security that this standing threat to murder all of creation provides. For my part, I declare to you today we will not comply. In closing, I wish to acknowledge with deep gratitude the large number of letters that you, Judge Wood, have received on my behalf. It is my sincere hope you will consider them, not as pleas for mercy, but as expressions of, on of conscience of the community with regard to the words that Stephen and I have spoken here today. In that same spirit, I would like to add this prayer from Pope Francis to the pile. A prayer for our earth. <clears throat> All-powerful God, you are present in the whole universe and the smallest of your creatures. You embrace with your tenderness all that exists. Pour out upon us the power of your love, that we may protect life and beauty. Fill us with peace, that we may live as brothers and sisters, harming no one. <clears throat> God of the poor, help us to rescue the abandoned and forgotten of this earth, so precious in your eyes. Bring healing to our lives that we may protect the world and not prey on it, that we may sow beauty, not pollution and destruction. Touch the hearts of those who look only for gain at the expense of the poor and the earth. 
Teach us to discover the worth of each thing, to be filled with awe and contemplation, to recognize that we are profoundly united with every creature as we journey towards your infinite light. We thank you for being with us each day. Encourage us, we pray, in our struggle for justice, love, and peace. We received the email alerting us to a, a Kings Bay Plowshares 7 festival. Uh, these are uh, Zoom events that uh, have happened periodically as the various members of Plowshares have had their sentencing hearings. So this one uh, was for uh, Mark Coville, uh, the first uh, speaker that we uh, that I, uh, I'm going to share with you is Kathy Kelly, a uh, longtime peace activist. Thank you, Stephen, very much for bringing us together. And uh, I want to start with a quote from 2014, the World Day of Peace, when Pope Francis said, our world is marked by a globalization of indifference, which makes us slowly inured to the suffering of others and closed in on ourselves. Mark and Luz, you and your community have been the inverse of what the Pope was worried about. You have steadily opened up to the needs of others. You literally opened your doors year in and year out. You constantly care when people suffer. You're the people always trying to make a difference. And I was very happy also to think of you when I read an essay, Mary Yelenick circulated by a woman named Robin Kimmerer. And uh, Robin was talking about an anthropologist who encountered a hunter in the Brazilian rainforest. And the hunter had had a very successful expedition, came home with more meat than he and his family could possibly consume. And so instead of putting some away for a perhaps leaner time, the hunter threw a massive feast and every morsel was consumed. So the anthropologist said, well, why did you eat it all? Why didn't you save something? And the hunter immediately said, I stored my meat in my neighbor's belly. I store my meat in my neighbor's belly. Today is Daniel Ellsberg's birthday. And in a way he has stored his wisdom in our hearts and minds for a long time, but he's very alarmed. And he has said, we're on the Titanic. We are going full steam ahead in the darkness. And it's as though, you know, with the metaphor of the trident the iceberg under the water is the Trident nuclear missile. And now Ellsberg's alerting us that the iceberg, if you will, under the ground is the new round of nuclear armed intercontinental ballistic missiles being installed in the missile silos in the Midwest, in the belly of the Midwest. We're storing our grotesque and hideous nuclear firepower. So yes, it seems in some ways like the doors are closing, like the minutes are ticking. And Mark, we know that in some days a door is going to close behind you. And we pledge we will do our best to listen for the sound of those doors closing. That's our job as support. We'll do our best to try 
to sense the heaviness of loneliness and desperation in the air that you'll be breathing. But you've given us reason, both of you, again and again, to really believe that when that door closes behind you, Mark, you will not close in on yourself. Uh, both of you are unlikely to close down. And so we thank you, really from the Deep Hearts Corps, for storing your resources in your neighbors' bellies and in ours. Thank you. Thank you. So the second speaker uh, is a woman, Beth Brockman, who has worked with uh, the Catholic worker. And she had some wonderful reflections to share that I think all of us could uh, benefit from hearing right now. So here's Beth Brockman. For the last couple of weeks, actually, I've been mulling over what gives me hope. And um, it's actually felt a little bit like a spiritual practice. Um, today, as I was driving home from New York City, I heard some interesting uh, research um, on the radio. It was out of the University of Virginia and it was about social support. They found in their research that participants accompanied by a friend estimated a hill to be less steep when compared to participants who were alone. And similarly, participants who thought of a close friend during an imagery task saw the hill as less steep than participants who thought of just a, a neutral person or someone they disliked. And the study defined a close friend as someone who has seen you at your best and at your worst. So there are a lot of friends who have seen me at my best or at least trying to be my best, but only a handful have seen me at my worst. And I count Mark and Luz Coville in the handful of people who have certainly seen me at my worst and I hope at my best. In May, um, 2009, Mark and I were part of a Catholic worker peace team that traveled to Egypt, Palestine, and Israel several months after Operation Castlet, a 22-day assault on Gaza by Israel. And yes, I did have one of my worst moments on that trip. I'm not going to share that. There's another moment that stands out to me that's actually related to this um, University of Virginia research. We went to the Dehesha refugee camp just south of Bethlehem, and we spoke to some refugees there. When we asked them what we could do to help them and other Palestinians, one man replied, go home and get to know, really know your neighbors. I've thought a lot about that statement over the years. The powers and the principalities would not have us know one another. Empire seeks to separate us, divide us from one another, to make us believe that we're not connected, that we don't belong to one another. And certainly we know that our friends that are in prison now, Steve, Carmen, Martha, Patrick, and Claire, are certainly very separated from us. Standing in the midst of empire alone, looking up the hill, it certainly looks steep. It's 100 seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock, Violence against Asians increased 150% in 2020. So far this year, 12 trans and gender non-conforming people have been killed. 
the Atlantic right whale, which breed off the coast of Georgia and Florida, not far from the Kings Bay Naval Base, are close to extinction, with only 400 remaining. Yes, the hill seems very, very steep. But when I think of Mark and Luz, and I think of Steve and Liz and Martha and Claire and Patrick and Carmen standing not only next to one another, but to us, helping us to remember that we're connected to one another, that we belong to one another. If we can take the time to develop close relationships, to bear with one another and be with one another at our best and our worst, getting to know our neighbors, taking part in mutual aid efforts, direct action, planting gardens, then the hill up ahead doesn't seem so steep. And that gives me hope. Thank you. That was a wonderful talk because it's, it's a way to really kind of incorporate some hope. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's a tool. I mean, she just, and she just clicked off all of those mm -hmm. situations where we can feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. We can feel hopeless. And, and the wisdom of the Palestinian refugee. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I wonder if he had any idea how tall an order he was giving us. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. So because everything in our culture puts barriers between us and our neighbors. Oh, I, exact. Everything puts uh, puts a barrier um, uh, from the media to the, the the fence to the gated communities. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Love your neighbor, not much. So now the next guy you had, you you wanted uh, me to clip out was a Robert Randall from Beyond Trident. Yeah, this is more of a specific issue that he's addressing. Okay, well, let's listen to Robert. And this is the same quote that I used a year and a half ago at the Festival of Hope that we had here in Brunswick during, um, during y'all's trial, Mark. Um, it's a quote from Greta Thunberg, and it goes, yes, we do need hope. Of course we do. But the one thing we need more than hope is action. Once we start to act, then hope is everywhere. And it's so for me, it's action. Um, your action and my action that gives me hope. And I want to remember that your action was not simply the act of going uh, onto the base down at Kings Bay, but it is the ongoing action that has continued since then through the trial, the court proceedings, the sentencing, and now in, into, into prison. And all of that action as part of the plowshares plus the rest of the action that you do that, that others have already so, so eloquently spoken to um, is what gives us hope. The second question we were asked to address is what can we do to continue the seeds of that action? And that question reminds me of the parable of the sower because of the, the idea of seeds and I find it strange that the sower doesn't seem to be very careful 
about where it is that she is throwing all of those seeds. They're just flying out there and landing hither and yon. And some of them um, grow up and others of them don't grow up. Yet they all start with the same kernel within the seed, the same possibility of a thriving plant. So it seems that if we sow our seeds, that is if we act wherever and whenever we are, without making excuses about where that might be, then we may or may not, not, not always see the success that we have predefined for those seeds, but we will at the very least be spreading hope everywhere. And I would like to close um, by kind of making that appeal that, that we actually try to move beyond hope. Um, what I'd like to suggest is that we actually embrace and build upon the successes of the entry into force of the treaty uh, on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. Um, that perhaps we should stop focusing just on hope as if the abolition of nuclear weapons is some far off dream. And instead we should act into its imminent inevitability, which is shown to us in that treaty. And perhaps if we do that, if we, if we redefine our paradigm, it will, um, it will move us from hope to reality. Thank you. You also wanted me to pick out the clip from Jackie Allen DeSeo from No New Trident. So let's listen to her. Uh, Jackie Allen DeSeo of No New Trident is a plowshares activist and co-founder of the Hartford Catholic Worker, Jackie. Thanks everybody. It's great to be here and especially to be able to speak to Mark and Lewis before the uh, court descends upon them. Um, I hope that you feel connected and loved by all of us in your beloved community. And we are so grateful for your witness and what you've done, what you do with your everyday lives and lose what you'll be doing for Mark while he's away and Mark what you'll be doing to finish the witness that you began three years ago. Um, I wanna talk to folks about the No New Trident campaign that's going on here. I'm blessed to live uh, two blocks from the Thames River uh, on land that the Pequot and Mohegan and Narragansett people lived on and raised their children on and took very good care of um, until we uh, sort of occupied their space and uh, committed incredible genocide right at the mouth of the Thames River where it pours into the um, Long Island Sound is an absolutely beautiful part of the world. Right now, it's a super fun site thanks to the Navy, the US Navy, Electric Boat Shipyard and Pfizer. Um, Currently, they're spending billions of our tax dollars, and none of it is going towards cleaning up the Superfund site. There are plans for the Columbia class of submarines, and it involves production of 12 boats at a projected cost presently estimated at 103 to $109 billion. You know, how do we even conceive of that incredible amount of money? Each sub will carry 16 missile tubes, eight fewer than the current Ohio class Trident but will also have updated propulsion and stealth capabilities, which will magnify their threat. They will initially carry the existing Trident, uh, Trident II D5 missile, but designs for both a new missile and a new warhead are underway, more billions. 
Initial construction has already begun at Newport News Shipbuilding in Virginia with final assembly to take place at Electric Boat in Groton, Connecticut. Beginning this year ahead of schedule, a new facility for that exclusive purpose is now being built in the Groton shipyard. And it literally, the cranes and construction are going on 24 hours a day around the clock. It's clear that the new weapons would continue the crime of Trident against both humanity and the environment. The No New Tridents campaign proposes to undertake programs of public education, lobbying, and nonviolent civil disobedience, calling for the immediate abandonment of the Columbia submarine and the diversion of funds set aside for its construction to policies which re will realize the rights of all the world's people to healthcare, housing, education, income equity, and racial justice. In support of the call to celebrate January 22nd, the day that the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons entered into force, we organized telephone actions directed at Electric Boat in Groton to jam the lines with demands to end the Columbia program. Uh, this past Friday, we had Good Friday service via Zoom that we normally do at the US sub base, but we'll be continuing to do actions both at the sub base and at the engineering department on the New London side of the river. The Norfolk Catholic Worker will be primary organizers for this around the Newport News shipyard, and the Catholic Worker will coordinate the witness at Electric Boat. I just wanted to say that um, all of the things of empire come to fruition in this weapon come to the racism, the environmental degradation, the poverty, the violence, all of those things. But we know as members of the beloved community that the plowshares witness and the work that we do to stop these horrible weapons is where empire comes to an end and the beloved community begins, sisterhood and brotherhood, resistance and hope. So I'm very grateful. Mark and Luce, I hope that we have a chance before you have to turn yourself in to have some beers and go fishing together and enjoy our beloved community a little bit. And our prayers of our community are with your community every day. God bless you. That's very good, Harvey. She, she really encapsulized what we could be doing yeah. if we spent the money better. Okay. I didn't talk that much about Steve Kelly, Father Steve. Uh, but he uh, and he was he had already been in he had already spent like 33 months in various jails and prisons and the uh, sentence was you know less than that so he was basically uh, the judge was going to give him time served plus three years of supervised uh, probation what stay away from uh, spray paint and um, and clippers subs. and yeah. he said i would much rather he said i can't do that if i am if i am out free as long as there are nuclear weapons i have to you know and it's you know uh i feel it is my duty my duty to, to god to do everything i can to try to uh, end that, you know. What'd the judge say? Human rights. He said, I'd much rather just give me uh, whatever the equivalent amount of incarceration is. He says, I can, I can take that, but I can't do supervised release because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna comply with that. <laughs> wow. So did he end up going back? He agreed to do it. Yeah. So he, the judge said, okay, 
I'm just going to give you a time served, no supervised release, and you're free to go. However, he had another <clears throat> order from a Georgia court for violation of probation, and he had to report to that court in Georgia. This happened in Tacoma, where, he, where the judge was. Yeah. He had three days to report to the parole board or whatever in Georgia from Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> and he said, I have no intention of doing that. So I guess they'll come get me or whatever. But so he's still got another, you know, and, and also these guys are getting, and women are getting hit with restitution. Right. The, the Navy is claiming $33,000 in damages. They really didn't do anything. No, they cut some fence. They yeah. cut some fence and spray painted. Yeah, and they uh, poured blood on some. Yeah. Uh, they weren't missiles. They were just mock-ups of missiles at the, at the entrance of, this, of the base. But, you know, $33,000 for that. Yeah. No. So, well. None of these people make a lot of money. No. So that... You know, it's a fascinating story that has gotten far, far less coverage, of course, than it should. Have you because, seen any coverage of it in the, in the Times or in the Post? Or I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen or anything. CNN, none. MSNBC, yeah. none. Yeah, I did see, I did see coverage on uh, Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! Yeah, right. And I was looking around for clips. The intercept and, had something. And uh, I didn't see the intercept, but I did see uh, one of your local news broadcasts, uh, local news broadcasts, who were just amazed that people that age had broken in to the submarine base with such ease. So let's hear that local report. All right, so you have a 78-year-old former nun, a team of protesters, and a secured nuclear facility. Today we're learning more about how these seven activists actually broke into the Kings Bay Submarine Naval Base in South Georgia. As First Coast News reporter Eric Alvarez explains, they say it's easier than you might think. The Submarine Naval Base has a perimeter fence with barbed wire a lot like this one. It also has guards at every gate, but those protesters between the ages of 55 and 78 years old still found a way inside and court proceedings suggest it may have been as simple as this. And the final affidavit that I have reads and alleges that you did unlawfully destroy the perimeter security fence, multiple security lights and defaced government property using canned spray paint. Do you understand that charge, sir? Yeah. The Kings Bay Plowshares activists charged with trespassing and interfering with government property in a Camden County court after being caught with bolt cutters and spray paint near vandalized areas of the Kings Bay Submarine Naval Base in South Georgia. We come in peace. The activists shared this video hours before infiltrating the base, which according to the Navy's website, hosts six ballistic missile and two guided missile submarines. The threat of their use as well as their very possession is to be firmly condemned. A source familiar with the activist tells First Coast News a person can easily enter the base from the North Causeway Road or the golf course. I asked the Public Information Office if it was aware of or addressing any weak points on the north side or anywhere else for that matter. 
A spokesperson says the base does not discuss security capabilities now or at any time and says no submarine or military asset was ever threatened by the plowshares activists. Now, if you're wondering about the name, it's from a Bible verse in the book of Isaiah that reads, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. One nation shall not raise sword against another, nor shall they train for war ever again. Now, the Plowshares movement claims to have infiltrated other military installations in the past, including a naval base in the state of Washington and another military base in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Eric Alvarez, First Coast News, on your side. Well, just remember, it was 2014, I think, that uh, Megan Rice, 81-year-old nun, and her two uh, partners who were uh, veterans, uh, breached the security system at Oak Ridge, White right. Well plant, nuclear weapon. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the security system there, uh, you know, installed by like Bechtel or one of these corporations, you know, <laughs> and it was, you know, <laughs> they, they, you know, and somebody in Congress or whatever just said, we need another contractor to make at least make the security of our nuclear weapons in Oak Ridge non-proof. Non <laughs> so what do you want to do for a song? I got to, I got to meet Megan Rice. I got to meet Megan Rice and oh, you did her speak at uh, at the uh, Arepa uh, workshop that when Kathy and I went to. Uh, it was shortly after she was released from the prison in New York. Uh, what are, she's an amazing, amazing person, but. Uh, nice. Yeah. So what, what do you want to do for a song to follow up on this? Yeah, we got to talk about songs. So we did talk about a song and Harvey reached out to our old friend, Ralph Hutchison.